to the Adam B and Adam G NBA show. It has been a ginormous, enormous, unbelievable week in the NBA, kicked off by maybe the most unexpected trade deadline activity we've seen in a while. Everyone was predicting a stinker, and it was anything but Adam G. Good evening, Adam Badawi, uh, Adam B. Um Evening. Evening. Uh, evening. Yeah, good evening to you from lovely Santa Monica, LA. Uh, yes, we've we've moved right past the Blake Griffin trade. Um, everyone thought that was going to be the blockbuster and the biggest thing going around, but uh, the trade deadline was absolutely on fire. Yeah, it was nuts. I, I, I can't believe that 45-minute stretch when the faceless, nameless Cavs GM just rocked the world. That was something to behold. Well, we should pay him some respect and call him by his name, Kobe Altman, because he's finally done a good job. So congratulations to his name making it on the podcast. It's a big moment for Kobe. Oh, it's a great moment for him. I'm sure that the biggest thing for him in this season has been trying to get himself on the pod and get his team off a potential blacklist. Well, how close were they, by the way? We were re- we were between the last pot and this one. We were we were basically done. Yeah, I had plans for this podcast to be to, to be opening the podcast and saying, "Adam, Cavs are done. Cavs are blacklist. No more." And then we just move on. Yeah. Well, after that that Rockets game, right? That was pretty much the lowest that any team can get, nationally televised, double-digit blowout. I know, but no they effort. made it even lower. Yes. What about the game when they were up by, what was it, up by 15, up by 20 on the Magic? Oh, and God, they were losing yes. by 20? Yes, in the fourth quarter, yes. I completely yeah. forgot that existed. It feels like uh, two seasons ago. It does. It's, <laughs> it's been the most fired-up, uh, crazy NBA season so far. And yet, up until up until February first, um, we didn't really have that much movement. We'd obviously had Blake to the Pistons, Miritich to the Pelicans. I mean, Bledsoe to the Bucks and Jalil Jalil Okafor to Brooklyn. Kind of, they're medium-sized moves. But we had Blake Griffin, we had Kyrie in the summer, and the NBA has just gone crazy before the All Star break. Yeah, I mean, it was last year at the All-Star game that we found out about that um, DeMarcus Cousins trade. But this this year with that trade deadline moved up, all the action just came in this big cluster. Um, So why don't we break down exactly what the Cavs did, what Kobe, not faceless or nameless, did in that kind of 50-minute power stretch. It started off with the Isaiah Thomas trade. Yeah, and obviously he's been now... Uh, either scapegoated or faulted for being the biggest problem in part of that chemistry in that locker room. Um, the one who was – there are some hilarious uh, little clips and videos of um, miniature Dion Waiters or Isaiah Thomas standing at half court, arms in the air, calling for the ball from the best player in the world, um, as if, like, LeBron should know better and give him the ball. Yes. Uh, he's been a He's been a horrible – addition to this roster ever since he walked on the court. And apparently LeBron, who had a great relationship with Isaiah apparently throughout his rehab, 
hated him after the first couple of days when once Isaiah returned. Yeah. So there was something about the way Isaiah played, and this was from the recent Zach Lowe podcast with Brian Win, uh, Brian Windhorst. And they were talking about how as soon as Isaiah got on the court with LeBron, he did not enjoy playing with him. No, and I think I think it would totally have something to do with that, you know, 30 or so percentage of ball usage. His usage rate was absolutely massive. His efficiency way down from last year, obviously. And, you know, what- not just way down, but like the worst we've seen in 25 years for that high usage of player. 35% from the field and 25% from three. I'm actually not that hot on the Isaiah bashing purely because we're still talking about the guy's... Because you fifth, love him. Well, A, I love him, but B, you're talking about a guy who's 15 games back from an injury. And I think it's very clear now that he came back too soon. Um, obviously, there's some reps you can only do in-game, but he was just not ready. And also, they did not do a particularly good job at incorporating him into their system. You think about Brad Stevens' system, it was completely built around Isaiah's offense and accounting for his yeah. lack of defense. And that's why he had a, a, a historic season last year in terms of efficiency. But to just kind of dump him in there in a loose Kyrie-style role and expect him to be picking up where he left off, I think was way too much to ask. And it seems like LeBron didn't have much patience for it. No, and LeBron doesn't have patience with anyone who isn't trying to play as best as they can or playing with confidence. And that's where Jay Crowder also comes into this, who was apparently a horrible chemistry uh, negative on the squad and on the roster because he was complaining that LeBron was playing the same position as him and he didn't know when he was going to get his shots. And when he stopped looking for his shot and started pump faking and it not even and passing the ball off when he should have shot LeBron just completely ignored him. Yeah, and you've heard rumblings, and that's what LeBron does. He's you, done it before. You've heard rumblings about this too this week that LeBron just does not want. He's unforgiving um, when if you're not confident, if, you don't if want you're to not if you're not taking and making if you're not taking and making open shots, he has a low tolerance. He yes. he knows he, he's probably the, he's the smartest guy on the court just about every game he plays. And when someone isn't fulfilling their obligation, i.e. hitting a wide open three, nailing an open mid-range jumper, he has a low tolerance. He won't pass you the ball. You'll be kind of cut out of his little system. No, and look, before Kyle Corver got to the Cavs, they picked up Mike Dunleavy from the Bulls and he was quickly outed from Cleveland because he came into the roster on a very big high for a couple of seasons with the Bulls. And when he stopped shooting with confidence, LeBron stopped passing him the ball. And this so, is, and this is yes, why I see Jay Crowder taking like five shots a game. Yeah, and part of it is he's getting less of the ball. And part of it's also, well, you suck. You suck at the moment, Crowder. So why should I pass you the ball? Um, yeah. Look, the people they got rid of, and the people they got rid of, if we look at it really, they might be bigger names, but they're worse players, and worse players specifically for the Cavs as well. Yeah, so they offloaded in about an hour Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Derek Rose, Dwayne Wade. Uh, who are we missing? There's Channing Fry. Channing Fry. Is that all? I think there were six outs. 
Thomas. You think we'd have this Wayne. down pat by now? You think we'd have it down pat, but that's the guts yeah. of it, you know. I'll, look, look I'll, I'll keep talking. You can look it up. Look, yeah, they, they were involved in three different trades um, with the Heat in one where Dwayne Wade went to the Heat for what is a heavily protected 2020 second-round pick that will account for nothing. So there's nothing they're going to get back for that. They're just sending Dwayne Wade to the Heat, and that was in consultation with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Kobe Altman before this happened. So mm. before they accepted it, you know, they all sat down and talked about it. And look, with uh, Jetty Osman and also Rodney Hood and all these other players now getting some minutes, uh, Dwayne Wade was going to lose some time. Uh, and so this was the best thing for his career. Obviously, the, the trade with the Kings and the Jazz is a quite a complicated one, but they the Cavs ended up getting back Rodney Hood and George Hill, who I love as part of the trade. Yes. Um, and they yeah. all got back Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance from the Lakers. The, the, forgotten, um, forgotten, well as, the forgotten man on the, on the way out was Iman Shumpert, who is completely forgettable these days. So I think... Yeah, uh, he's very... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> But look, I mean, some of our big, look, some of our first pods we've talked about him on Shumpert, and I've talked about him before, and he's an absolute dumbass, and he should not have been getting paid that much or been playing that much, um, and it's unfortunate that Tyler has taken so long, and the Cavs took so long to get rid of so many dumb players, low IQ players, which after the game today against the Celtics, um, and we'll get onto that in a sec, but. After today's game with the Celtics, LeBron praised all the new players for having high IQ and enthusiasm. That's what he praised them for. He said these are high IQ players who work hard and they're enthusiastic and they want to be here and they want to play. So yeah, yeah. you can and tell you the could, difference. You could see how happy he out. was too. Like these are guys who were hitting their shots. Yeah. These were guys who enabled him to sit out the entirety of the fourth quarter and get some rest and just be clowning around. I don't think I've seen him smile like that all year. <laughs> no, it, it looked like happy LeBron and That's watched scary. the fuck out Eastern yes. Conference. Yes, happy LeBron means absolutely scary times ahead for the Eastern Conference. New players today for the Cavs yeah. scored 49 points. And you're seeing guys like Clarkson shooting 80% from the field and hitting all their open shots. And it's it, it it reeks of a team that desperately needed a shake-up and kind of happy that they've had a shake-up. I think it's pretty predictable to expect them to have a little, a little blip here and go on a bit of a run. It'll be very interesting to see what, uh, what they look like in a month's time. Yeah, definitely. Um... And it'll be interesting to see what those other teams who were involved in the trades with them uh, look like. Not not necessarily in a month's time, but come through the end of the season and next season. Yeah, I, I'm especially looking looking at um, how Jay Crowder goes in Utah, um, and I think that it, there's going to be a, there's going to be a long recovery period for guys like It and Crowder who were just took huge hits to their stock while they were in Cleveland. Um, the Cavs definitely sold low on those two. Isaiah has gone from having an almost guaranteed max contract um, next year to maybe in the market for a one-year deal. Uh, and that's a very, very scary thought for a player of his age who's been waiting for a, a big payday. And he's got to kind of prove it in, in LA. He's got a little less than half a season to go. And guys like yeah Crowder and IT have to pick up their reputations or the, the, the shattered pieces of their reputations 
and reform their identity in the NBA because they look absolutely terrible after all this. Well, they also they look absolutely terrible, but they've actually just gone back to being what they were. Um, we forget that last year, last season, Isaiah Thomas was an outlier compared to what we've seen in the past. And we forget that Jay Crowder was never this uh, prototypical, everyone wants him, 3 and D wing who can play play anywhere between a 4 and a 2 and guard anyone and hit threes at a high consistency. These are players who, for the most of their career, have been very average. And I think players it's have fair good to say, runs. Yes, yes. I, I think it's fair to say in the case of Crowder, um, he kind of suffered from the same weird pumping up that Iman Shumpert have. If you remember, like yeah. Shumpert was, has been praised bizarrely as like an elite stopper for a long time, like going back to his days in New York. And there's just yeah, very absolutely. little statistical evidence to back that up. And there's because of reputations of what guys sign contracts on. And it's usually orchestrated behind the scenes by agents. Like, Iman Shumpert's not a great defender. Jay Crowder is not a great defender. He's got good size. Yeah. And he can play a couple of good positions yeah. in a row. But, like, he, he's no elite, like, all-defensive first-team player. And he's been framed right. as that. And no wonder people get disappointed. Yeah, because people build things up to be different than what they are or the praise reaches unrealistic uh, expectations and then everyone becomes disappointed, as you said. I also think with Isaiah, he obviously had a decision to make and we've talked about his hip injury uh, before and the experience that we've got with this hip injury is that it does require surgery so far. And he apparently put that off and it requires a long, this is an ACL kind of level of rehab program. It might take 12 months for some people to get back to 100% on these kind of hip injuries. And I don't think being in the last year of his contract, he had that chance or he could have taken that risk. Right. He so part of me thinks, yeah, so part of me thinks he also wanted to come back early. It's not just entirely on the Cavs, but you know, that this is what's happened now. He's taken that risk and he hasn't played well and the guy's career won't be going that much longer if this continues the way it is. No, but I think I think any kind of final summary or final judgment on Isaiah needs to wait to the end of this season. Um, I would expect him to be get to get a little bit more efficient, but time will tell. What do you what do you think about the Cavaliers now? Um, what do you think about their chances in the East? I thought George Hill looked absolutely spectacular today. I mean, they're all the new acquisitions. Yeah, did, did you really... enjoy the game today? Uh, I fucking hated the game today. Um, I think <laughs> that it, LeBron just looked like a spoiled kid on the bench who just, uh, after annoying his parents for a period of months, finally got what he wanted and enjoyed playing with his new toys. Like, I'm like, fuck you, man. Who else, who else can get away with uh, overhauling a roster in one hour and then, you know, beating their biggest rivals by double digits and turning around your fortunes in a couple of days. It's insane. It shits me. Ads, in the first three quarters, they they had 95 points against the number one defense in the league. Yeah, it went as bad as the it number one defense in the league. But yeah, 95 points in the, against the number one defense. That was meant to be a close, tight game. And not only that, they held you to 42 points in the second and third quarters. 
But do you think they're going to shoot 56% for the rest of the season and hold teams like that for the rest of the season? That's the only question I'm interested in. They won't do it every week. They won't do it every game. There'll be games when someone is off, uh, someone is not quite as on. There's always a little bit of, uh, not a honeymoon period, but a very natural amount of enthusiasm and energy from this trade. And that that kind of goes away after time. And then when you get to know each other a little bit more, maybe you start to have a little bit more annoyance with someone's uh, tendencies or habits. But for the moment, uh, the better team looked to be the Cubs. Oh, comfortably. And the fact that they're still going to add Kevin Love whenever he returns from injury is scary. And I I feel very grateful that we don't at the Celtics have a super impulsive reactionary GM because a lot of other GMs in the Celtics position or the Raptors position last week would have seen what the Cavs were doing and made a panic trade or overpay, whatever. Um, but right now it just looks like, oh shit, like they now have a legitimate point guard who can shoot and assist and yeah. they've got a bench all of a sudden and... You know, they may be like six or seven games behind for second seed, but that doesn't seem like a lot, a lot anymore. They're a scary team once again, and LeBron's happy, and we should all be scared. I don't know if this means that they're, again, the favorites to win the East. Um, I think I'd need to see them do this for a couple of weeks, but it's, um, it's definitely made the East a little bit more intriguing again. Yeah, well, I mean, the worst... LeBron team that we've seen is still 11 games over 500, has won three in a row, and is third in the Eastern Conference. There you go. And not only that, this win, or more likely, more this loss for the Celtics, put them back to the number two seed. Yeah, they were in in the two seed just before this, um, but they've had a really bad week. They lost three of four. They lost to the Raptors. Uh, they lost to the Pacers. Um, it was, it's just not been a very good showing for them. Um, and it seems like they're, I mean, Brad Stevens said they're lacking crispness and execution. That definitely seems like it. There's been a step yeah. back in intensity. Um, and, and no, you know, it's times like this where you really miss a guy like Marcus Smart, this kind of, albeit less talented player, but he's a bulldog. And, it's players like that that hold people accountable on the court and hold people to a level of intensity, and that's what it seems the Celtics are missing. They feel passive and a little bit detached and um, definitely slumping. They need a shake-up. Do we think Marcus Smart is really that much better than Iman Shumpert? Yes, uh, just because to me he's a difference maker. Um, it's it's a one percenter thing. I think okay. players like him make a difference in high intensity games or playoff games. Um, I actually, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a GM and I'm, I'm not a statistician, but I would prefer prefer to have Marcus Smart taking bad shots than Jalen Brown being passive and um, you know too deferential instead of making the right play. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when he gets back, and you kind of wonder yeah. once more if the the various rumours swirling around about Gordon Hayward's late March return could be real because they could desperately use another scorer. Oh, they could absolutely uh, use another scorer and it's very disappointing getting onto more trades that 
Danny Ainge didn't or wasn't able to find a way to get anyone of Kemba Walker, Lou Will, or Tyreek Evans. Uh, I think the the Grizzlies are absolute idiots. Like, that GM should be fired. He's the new faceless, nameless, because they're going to lose him for nothing in the offseason now. Like, that's it. The, The jig's up, and... The reports that they got offered multiple second round picks. They were not budging unless they got offered a first. They got offered players. But why wouldn't you just take it? You know that Tyreek is gone at the end of the year. Just take something back for him. I mean, maybe they know something we don't know, but it felt like that was like stubbornness for the sake of stubbornness. Um, maybe it's like a future I mean, bargaining chip. You say, look, we're not scared to lose a player for nothing. So if you don't give us the right price, well, fuck you. But it's not even just they're getting second-round picks for a player worth more than that. They're getting second-round picks and making their team worse, so therefore their own first-round pick is going to be better as well. This is it. How many games is Tyreek Evans going to win for them? first-round pick and second-round Sorry, what was that? It's like Tyreek Evans is going to win you some games down the stretch of this season, and every game yeah. you win is yeah, making absolutely. your pick worse. Yeah, so not only have they lost out on even one second-round pick or a 2018 and a future second-round pick from the Celtics or whoever it is, they're also making their first-round pick this year worse. So that, I'm, yeah, I'm worried for that organization. Um, that look, there are some other trades that, yeah, there are some other trades to go over that were important uh, or at least worth mentioning. Uh, the Magic gave up on Alfred Payton. And his hair. Which, and his hair. Please cut his, someone cut his hair. Someone I hope when he gets to the Suns, someone yes. cuts his hair. Yes. Um, look, Phoenix, get Alfred Payton. They get to try him out. They get to see what's going on. They don't give a shit about this season anyway. They've gone one and nine in their last ten. Uh, they've lost five in a row. They are absolutely trying as hard as possible to catch the Kings. Yes, it's a, um, it's a tankathon. It's a tank out. Yeah, look, the Knicks, Nuggets, and Mavs swapped uh, role players. Moutier went to the Knicks, Devin Harris went to the Nuggets, and Dougie McDermott, who's still in the league, by the way, uh, went to the Mavs. Uh, Nothing big there, but it gives all those players another chance within another organization to see if they can... Yeah. Look, see if they can do something else. Moutier had a nice day, yes. Yeah, exactly. He's the kind of guy that needed to change his scenery. Yeah, and look, Dougie McDermott on the Mavs... uh, We've seen Rick Carlisle work with shooters quite well. So, look, hope, hope for him that that works out. Um, Devin Harris, you hear, nothing, you hear nothing but good things about Devin Harris from the Dallas organization. And I also quite like that trade for the Nuggets because they're not, yeah, yeah, they're not getting any better at point they're guard. A, they needed legitimate point guard. No, look, and they should have kept Jameer Nelson earlier, but mm. this is just as good. I'm not going to say that Jameer Nelson is that much of an upgrade on Devin Harris. Um, so this is good for the Nuggets. Speaking of Jameer, um, he's gone to the Pistons to rejoin Stan Van Gundy. Um, so SVG and Jameer Nelson have rejoined. Uh, they had a little trade with the Bulls. Um, Willie Reed has gone to the Bulls. Um, no importance there. The Raps gave up on Bruno. Um, he's gone to the Kings uh, and ended up cutting their first-round pick. Um, the Kings ended up cutting their first-round pick from last season, whose name slipped my mind. But they're terrible um, drafters, the Kings. I mean, Oh, absolutely. Um, and look, and Willie Hernan Gomez uh, has left the Knicks 
and he gets a chance to join the Hornets and see what happens. Um, and we know that Joe Johnson that, has been bought out and is committed to signing with the Rockets, more or less, and that's fucking yes. scary, a bit of ISO Joe. And Joe's been playing a lot of four this year. He's been playing a lot of small ball four this year. So um, holy fuck, if they ever unleash a lineup of Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, Joe Johnson, and Clint Capella, uh, watch out. That's a sexy small watch ball out lineup. Warriors or, yeah. I mean, even if you chuck Ryan, I mean, whatever, chuck Ryan Anderson in there, <clears throat> can anyone outscore that team ever? Um Look, I'm while we're on the Rockets, they are my number one team and my favorite for the championship this year. Whoa. I put them ahead of the Warriors. Um, I didn't want to casually stick in a little uh, hot take or anything like that. We call this a medium warm take. Uh, they've been everyone's number two favorite for a long part of the season, but I believe they're going to win. I believe that they have more of a chance of winning than the Warriors this season uh, based on what I've seen. And this only makes me believe in their roster more. Can I ask, what do you think about Wade back in Miami, kind of riding off into the sunset where he belongs? He looked great in their Miami Vice uh, plane, uh, plane strip. Yeah, they sold a whole bunch of them, I heard. Yeah, um, their their sales went up eight thousand percent in the towers after announcing that he arrived. So, yeah. for the, for the Heat, for them, I mean, that's the best thing that can happen for them. Uh, no organization is going to say no to an eight thousand percent increase in merchandise sales. Um, but I, I've but heard, look, more, I've heard and read more than one thing about Wade being kind of cancerous to that Cavs locker room, refusing to doing thing to do things that he thinks a veteran shouldn't have to do, and so on. Well, I don't think it's um, it's with bad intentions from Wade, but sometimes he has uh, body language issues or maybe effort issues, which he doesn't think a, a veteran should do at this part of the season. And it does rub off on teammates. It's not about him being a bad guy. It's just that he's lazy sometimes. He's he's old. He's been in the league a lot of years. He's logged a lot of minutes. And he's not that good anymore. The, the, the low standings, like the low playoff standings in the East and the West um, remain really, really interesting, Adam G. We can see the Heat are kind of wedged in at seventh between the Pacers and the 76ers. The 76ers, I think, indicated that they really want to go all in on some kind of playoff run by signing Marco Bellinelli. They've got another shooter on there. Um, I don't know. And then you've got the Pistons who look good too. Because that means when J.J. Redick is off the floor, they always have someone who can stretch the floor, which really helps uh, Simmons as well, who's still playing well and obviously pissed off at not getting an all-star call-up. Um, but that certainly helps them to have a good shooter on the floor for 48 minutes. Yeah, it really does. And I hope they hold that eight seed. I know um, Detroit's looked pretty good since they acquired Blake. I think they're 5-2. and two. Um, But if I had to choose between you know Philly or Detroit making the playoffs, I'm trusting the process. That would be such a fun 1-8 matchup between, say, Toronto and, and Philly. 
See, I'm going to disagree. I think the Pistons make it. And I don't know whether it's going to be... I feel like it's going to be the 76ers who drop out. But I do believe the Pistons will make it um, because when they get their shit together, uh, the Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond pick and roll, which not many teams know how to defend a 4-5 pick and roll, that is absolutely deadly. I, I know they've lost a couple of games lately. That's because because of poor shooting, nothing else. They, The actual... The decisions they have been trying to make and the effort they've been making has been pretty good. They've just missed a lot of shots in these last two games. Um, but that Blake Drummond pick and roll, I don't know how... If they make it into the eighth seed, are we worried for the Raptors and Dwayne Casey up against a veteran coach like SVG with Drummond and Blake Griffin on the roster? Even Jimmy and Nelson on the roster? I'm I'm scared at the expectations that are being set for the Raptors every day um, because they have a group of guys. And remember, this is one of the teams, one of the very few teams that has kept the core of their roster together for multiple years in a row. And it's a group of guys who just have not performed in the playoffs, have not shown a clutch gene, have not shown an ability to take leadership and close out teams. Um, so I'm actually really, I'm quite fearful for them. Even if they face the 76ers, I'd be quite fearful what happens if a team steals a game at home against them in the first two. Um, they need to prove something this year, and I would see them as the most vulnerable um, of the top three seeds in the East. Not as vulnerable as Washington, who I, I think I are hopeless, but very vulnerable. Yeah. I don't think that matters, though. and This is why I don't think that matters. I don't think they're making the finals. I don't believe that even the organization thinks that this roster is capable of beating either the Celtics or the Cavs or both. I think they can beat the Celtics. I don't believe that even if... uh, I'd still put my money on the Celtics. Just because of this late run that the Celtics have been on doesn't mean the Raptors are suddenly amazing. They're just playing with a lot more energy than the Celtics at the moment, which we talked about after the early season win streak. Right. the best thing for the Raptors, I think, is actually to win the Eastern Conference at the end of the regular season. That'll be a big achievement both for the Toronto Raptors, for that organization, and for the future of this organization. Uh, I don't think it matters. Uh, I, I don't think, think it matters if they make it any... I think they'll win that 1-8 matchup if they finish in the 1. And I know that some people think, oh, it's better for them to stay under the radar and finish in the number 2 seed and go through there. I don't think it's good for them to play the Cavs in the second round of the playoffs and lose. They are much better off finishing in the first seed, winning through, because they will, they'll be scary, but they will beat the eighth seed. And if they are up against the Wizards or Bucks, I still believe they'll beat them with the I, current four or five. I think that's such a cop I think, I think Carl Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and Casey have to prove something this year. They have to beat one of the Celtics or the Cavs. But I, I think we want them to prove something. I don't think they're good enough to meet our expectations. This is what we've been talking about, about the Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, high expectations based on one season and maybe us then getting disappointed. I don't think the Raptors need to win a championship or anything like that. Not every team can win a championship and not every team will. But what would be good for them and what would be a successful season for them is finishing with the number one seed. That would be a huge achievement. Not only for Lowry and DeRozan and Casey, but for the for the organization into the future. 
And then the hope is that they make the Eastern Conference Finals and at least compete. Yeah. If, if they did that, I would count that as successful because I don't see them anywhere near even the top five or six teams in terms of <clears throat> my favourites to win a champion. No, but you're hearing chatter about you know them being the favourites in the East. And I think until you can see them perform under pressure, I, I just don't buy it. Um, it's kind no, of how I, I feel I about Washington. And, that's, and it's also how I feel about Nikola Mirotic, who, by the way, yes, he got traded from the Bulls to the Pelicans, who, yay, Bulls, we get Omar Ashik back. Um, but <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a couple of picks. We got Look, we've got a first-round pick swap in 2018, so that is beneficial to the Bulls. But that guy has never performed under pressure. I love him. But if you look back, the times he's performed – is when it's a non-crucial moment or he came back to the roster and we were 3-18 and 18 and Nikola Mirotic performed. And then what happened in his debut for the Pelicans? He goes something like 0-5 for 5 from the three-point line. Yeah, the yeah same you with saw the Raptors. that last year in that playoff them. series. Yeah, and we haven't seen the Raptors perform under pressure. You're absolutely right. Um, I just think that them finishing with the number one seed, even if it comes with higher expectations, I think that's best for the organisation. And those players and coach. Okay, so my next question is, how do you think the West is going to shake up in that bottom half? We've seen Denver's gone on a really good streak. They won seven of the last ten, um, and they're sitting in seventh, um, a game or half a game ahead of the Pelicans, who are half a game ahead of the just-out-of-the-playoff LA Clippers. Yeah, we've also forgotten to speak about the form team of the competition. The Utah Jazz, along with the Rockets, are 9-1 and one in their last 10 games and have also won eight in a row. I, I don't know where this has come from and I don't know if this trade is going to hurt maybe their chances of making the playoffs. Right, losing Rodney Hood. Yeah, well, they've lost Rodney Hood. They've lost Joe Johnson. They've lost George Hill. Sorry, uh, they've lost George Hill last season, but they've... They've lost a couple of players who certainly can help. Um, maybe it hurts their chances. I don't know. They keep winning. What do we make of the Utah Jazz? They're in 10th. They're 27 and 28. Do we think they can actually make a run at the playoffs? Well, any team that plays Jonas Drebko for 20 minutes a game is a team I count as a friend. And I like these guys. I love Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I don't think he gets talked about nearly enough. Um, he should be. He's the rookie of the year. Ooh, I think that that's not going to happen. Well, people are going to make him the rookie of the year because he scores more points than Ben Simmons. I think Simmons has got that shit unlocked. But I love Donovan. Um, I love well, Gobert. Should. I love Jarebko. But people... People always vote for the Rookie of the Year just based on whoever scores more points, which is a ridiculous uh, measure. Okay, uh, but go on. So, so uh, the Jazz are in the fourth quarter now against the uh, Trailblazers as we speak, and they're up twenty-five, which is wonderful. Donovan Mitchell has taken Another- twenty-one shots. Um, Derek Favors has taken eleven shots. Can you guess who the next? Uh, who's taking the next most shots on the team? Ingles, Gobert, who? I'm going to 
Don't tell me it's Jay Crowder. It's fucking Jay Crowder. He's uh, he's dropped <laughs> he's dropped fifteen points. He's dropped fifteen points on fifty percent. Fifty percent. Fifty percent shooting. Hey, a a one, two, and three of Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, and Jay Crowder. That's not a bad little combination there. It's a nice spread. I, if Crowder can rediscover his mojo, uh, it would just be a great story, especially if they can squeak into the playoffs. So to go back to my question, who do you want to see make the playoffs in that lower half of the West, and who do you think will make it? Well, I should say the Nuggets because I was the one who have been has been down on the Nuggets all season. Yeah, way down. And, uh, yeah, no, I should continue and be stubborn with my take. But, look, they've, they've proven me wrong. They're going to finish just above 500 and make the playoffs, I assume. Um. I still want the Pelicans to make the playoffs. I still want, I still want Anthony Davis in there. I know the Jazz have been good. Uh, it'll be fun to have Jay Crowder in the playoffs for whatever reason. Pissed off Jack Crowder. Mitchell actually more. Well, yeah. I don't want I don't want Doc Rivers in the playoffs. I and I'd prefer to have Anthony Davis again in the playoffs. Uh, I want the Western Conference to stay the way it is right now. I wouldn't mind seeing Portland go. And I know it's so cruel to that franchise um, who are just trying their best, but I would much rather see the Jazz in the playoffs than um, well, they're, Portland. Yeah, they're, they are the Wizards of the West. Yeah, they're massive cock teasers. They've got some flash, yeah, some they have spark. A, yeah, a strong point guard, a strong shooting guard. Um, they talk a little bit too much and play a little bit too less, uh, few, like few possessions compared to what you'd hope. Yeah. They just take possessions off and yeah. think that it's okay. They take possessions off as if they are a multi-time champion yeah. or multi-time MVP. They just take possessions off. But uh, they're going to make it. They can't – their roster is too talented and the rest of the West is too shit for them to not make the playoffs. I can't believe it, but they're only half a game behind Oklahoma City for that five seed. Um, which kind of puts in perspective how mediocre Oklahoma City have been, how up and down they've been. But I would not mind seeing Portland go on a skid and let let the Jazz in, and let's keep Anthony Davis in there. I don't know. It's going to be a very like it's going to be a very dramatic ending into the season in both conferences. I think go right down to the wire on those players. Well, especially scenes. in the West, because yeah, especially in the West because the Rockets are now half a game back from the Warriors and. There's every chance they actually pip them to the one seed and finish on top of the West. And there's always a chance of the Timberwolves and the Thunder swapping four and five. And then as you, as we've talked about, that six, seven, eight is still up in the air. So, Oh, my God. Adam G., really? when's the last time that, that Golden State would have not had a home court advantage in a playoff series? That could be very interesting. I can't remember. It must have been four years ago now. Jesus. I mean, that counts for something. And you're talking about half a game difference at the moment. If, if yeah, if Houston can shore that up while Golden State kind of pulls at Cleveland and says we don't give a shit, that would be spectacular um, and kind of make oh, the Western Texans Conference Oh, and Texans are rowdy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Texans are very rowdy. They got notoriously so shitty crowds, but I'm sure they'd come up for to, it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the Rockets keep winning. They beat the Mavs today. Uh, the Timberwolves keep winning at home. They've won 13 straight at home. Um, as we've said, the Thunder have beat the very, very sad Grizzlies. So 
But this Utah, I guess, we're looking at this Utah win over the Trailblazers. Uh, that Western Conference is actually going to become very interesting come uh, March and April. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, Adam G, I think you have uh, a little update on our favorite, quote unquote, injured point guard. Yeah, well, last week we talked about uh, Mark L. <coughs> Fultz and obviously he's been in the news ever since the start of the season, ever since he was drafted number one overall. Uh, but there are just some issues with Mark L. Fultz that are very worrying and make Danny Ainge, which I fucking hate, make Danny Ainge seem even smarter now for trading away from the number one pick. Who trades down from the one pick? Unbelievable. Who? I mean... It's very, very rare that someone will trade down from the number one, especially when you know that you have the choice to add someone who can affect your franchise in a way that most other teams don't get that chance. It's insane. Um, look, a couple of the bad things that we've seen from Marco Fultz so far have been on video. We've seen his free throw and shooting mechanics being played with and all the stuff about his shoulder injury and... Brian Colangelo, the Philly um, GM, has come out and said no timeline for his return, so he could just sit out the rest of the season. Um, I don't think this guy deserved to be drafted number one overall. Really? And by the way, while we're at it, no, I don't believe he should have been drafted number one overall, and I think it, a little bit of luck played into this and a little bit of stupidity on the part of our franchises who are maybe not as smart as Danny Ainge. Markel Fultz is the only number one pick to start on the bench since 2003 at 15 years. He's in a unique position, though. You mean, you mean in the NBA, of course. He, uh, he was in, in the a, NBA, of course. He's in a unique position where Ben Simmons is coming in, too. You effectively had two rookies playing for one position. Um, and but they can, no, but they can, they, can play, they can play side to side. We're not talking about a Philadelphia 76ers roster that is flush with talent. There's yeah. no reason why you can't play J.J. Redick, Markel Fultz, and Ben Simmons as your one, two, and three because you have enough size there and enough ball handling and enough shooting to actually do it. That, that should be your best three players if Fultz is talented enough. But neither of those guys can play off play. ball effectively. This is the issue. But J.J. Redick and Markel Fultz were... I mean, J.J. Redick we know can. Yes. Markel Fultz was said to be great off-ball as well. And this is where we're going into some of the things that have happened in his college career and also in his, uh, his career leading up to being drafted. So Fultz is the only number one pick to start on the bench and in the last 15 years, and we are also looking at two other players who have had experience with this in their rookie seasons, mm. is Anthony Bennett and Andrea Bagnani. We're not looking at the greatest players, That's but we are looking company. at a big... No, and it's a reasonably okay sample size of 15 years. Um, Fultz, for those who don't know, he was, a combina- he was a combo guard. So for those who don't know, he basically plays the one and the two, point guard, shooting guard, and he played for Washington. He played one season for the Huskies. And my preference for what I would consider as hey, a reasonably smart way to draft, and it goes with quarterbacks as well, franchise players in the NBA and quarterbacks in the NFL is draft a player that wins. Especially in college, draft a player who is winning 
week after week or shows a at least a some kind of consistency to help his team become a winning team. Fultz led his team to a nine and twenty-two record in his one season with the Huskies. He wasn't good. He was named he was named the FIBA America's under eighteen championships MVP in twenty sixteen because of two games. The semifinal versus Brazil, where he only had ten points but he had eleven assists. And the as well as that had six steals. So everyone was looking at the eleven assists and six steals and saying, Oh wow, look at this playmaking point guard who can also defend ones and twos and has size. And when he shot two for five from three in that game, despite only having ten points, everyone said he can also shoot from three. Well, when he then played in the final versus Canada and had twenty three points, five rebounds, five assists and three steals on ten for sixteen shooting and three for six from the three point line, everyone said Holy fuck, this is the guy. This is the guy who is going to absolutely dominate the NBA. He can score. He can score efficiently. He can assist and bring his teammates in. And he has nine steals in two games. Look at this guy. But that's where the problem started. He was named MVP MVP because of those two games. Despite those two games, he only averaged 13 points a game in that whole tournament. He only averaged 33% from the three-point line in that whole tournament. And in five games, he went to the free-throw line five times. Right. But, you know, he made threes in college, Adam G. Like, his last seven games in college, I'm looking at his stats, he got, you know, he dropped four threes, four threes, no threes, four threes, five threes, two threes, two threes. I know the college three-point line is shorter but he has he has the makings of a successful NBA guard. I, he has every tool he needs yes, in the box. Yes, but he doesn't. But he doesn't have the makings of a successful NBA shooter. And you can judge shooters and consistency of someone's shot by their free throw percentage. Usually, he shot sixty four percent in college. Yeah, which is and not he good. barely went to the line. He barely <clears> went <throat> to the line and still only shot sixty four percent. Everyone talks about LeBron's free throw shooting. It's just generally LeBron's shooting mechanics that are an issue for him. And that's why his free throw technique has been a little bit all over the place. But Markel Fultz is worse. This is a guy whose shooting history has been horrible. If he has one, he had a 25-game stretch in college where he shot 41% from three. Everyone was talking about his college career saying, oh, this guy has scored more in Pac-12 conference history than anyone we've seen in the last 20 years because he averaged 23 points a game. The guy played 36 minutes per game in college. Of course he was going to average 20-plus points. There aren't many college players out there averaging 36 minutes a game. They only play 40-minute games. So his success on the stat sheet, getting five rebounds per game, getting six assists per game, his success on the stat sheet in college was based on just minutes and him being on the court for such a long time for such a shit team, a 9-22 and 22 team. So not only did he not lead his team well, he also then scored in big games on national TV in the big stages at the right time when everyone was watching. He's not a good player. But his issue right now isn't that that he's not a good player, it's that he's not playing. And he's not playing because of some sort of mental block that he's got that his team can't manage. Well, his coach just came out and said, 
when his coach was asked, when Brett Brown was asked, where's his shooting range at the moment, he said, in the paint. Yeah. The Philadelphia 76ers coach thinks Michael Fultz can hit a shot from in the paint, and that is it. Yeah. And I get his confidence. His confidence might be shot. But that is part of being an NBA player, is being confident. And I just can't believe that it's come to this, that you can be a one pick and that you know you can be out for most of the season because you forgot how to shoot. And I think that the Sixers have managed players, young players being out for multiple years in a row, players that were all written off by the press uh, who came back and made impact. But in this case, I'm shocked at just how bad their messaging has been. They've been inconsistent in the way they've talked about him, inconsistent with his timeline, inconsistent in describing the issues he's facing. And I think that the media circus, the whisper chorus, um, the memes, all this shit can't possibly be helping someone that's already going through confidence issues. And I think they've completely mismanaged the situation. Oh, they have. They are absolutely culpable. And part of this is a player going to the wrong situation at the wrong time and probably needing more time in college. But when someone says to you or your agent says to you, hey, you're going to get drafted number one overall, you do not turn that down. No. You don't turn down that contract. So, yeah, he's absolutely going to do it. But this is, this is not going to be good for his, for his career, for his future. I'm, I'm looking at his career and seeing this is going to be the kind of player that in five and six years' time suddenly becomes a reliable kind of starter for a middling playoff team and doesn't really impact the score sheet well because he's the third or fourth option in your team, but he's solid. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a very solid player in the future, not one who should be the number one draft pick overall. No, he shouldn't do, you be think, a do you think Danny Ainge saw that? Like, why, why do you think Danny Ainge was so high on Jason Tatum to the point where he's happy to turn away the, the one pick? I just think he thought he was better. I think he thought Tatum was better than Markel Fultz. And he didn't want to give in to the fact and say early, hey, um, there's a problem with Fultz, I'm going to trade away. Because that would send, that would send bad mer- uh, messages around the, le- and around the league and maybe something happens there. But he won that trade. I know he's won a lot of trades lately, but that might be the best one he's done in maybe his whole management career because they got that he's pick. got a guy who we've seen is a good NBA player already and shown signs to have really good potential, a really high ceiling. And Markel Fultz, for all we know, might be out of the league in five years because the comparisons to his him as a player are not great. A losing college player with one season and a couple of decent games with poor free-throw me- and shooting mechanics, uh, this is not someone that I would want on my team. My next question to you, and I, I know you've spent um, your career as a sporting coach, is Is there no merit in throwing him into the fire and saying, hey, look, eventually you're going to have to be out there. Eventually you're going to have to like expose your jump shot to the world. Why don't we just get him out there in game pressure and play him, you know, 15 minutes a game off the bench, get his shots up and see if he can contribute. What's the what's the logic behind holding him out and making a circus of it all and saying, oh, you know, he's going to fix his jump shot and come back next season, maybe, maybe this season? Look, you need to know who your players are and you need to know the personality of your players. Um, 
but you can't hide a player or hold his hand or treat him like this for much longer. You have to give him the chance to go and play and you have to tell him that this is, you have a contract here and this is your job. You have to go out there and do it. Yes, you're young. There's no pressure on you. You can come off the bench and try a few things, but that's on the coaching staff to give him that confidence to maybe try a few things. That's on the coaching staff to say, rather than say, hey, your free throw technique sucks, you cannot shoot, you're not confident in your shot. You can't make a shot outside the paint. Yeah, that's where the coaching staff needs to say, rather than focus on that, just talk to him about his strengths. You're talking about okay, an 18, Markel, 19 year old, you know? Like, exactly. this is okay, a vulnerable Markel, kid. What are you good at? Yeah, and this is where you ask the kid. If you're his coach, you ask the kid, what are you good at? What do you think your strengths are? And he'll always say something. So if he says his athleticism is his strength, that's what he still thinks. No matter what, my shot is gone, but my athleticism is my strength. Then maybe you say to Markel, okay, every game, what we're going to do is we're going to put you on the most athletic wing or guard for the other team. You do your best to guard him, and all we want you to do is run in transition and cut to the basket. Backdoor cuts, little Dwayne Wade kind of cuts to right, the basket. Right, gimmies. Danny, Gre- Danny Green does it great for the Spurs. Um, and just keep his role simple. And just keep his role to those two things, and say for whatever else happens from there, you do it. No one at the Spurs expects Kyle Anderson to shoot from three the way Danny Green shoots from three. But they still make it work because – He's still starting for them and he's playing really well for them and he's developed as a, into a, an excellent wing player for them because the Spurs say, this is who you are. These are your strengths. Go and do it. Yes. I'm not going to ask you to do something you're not good at. When, you don't need to ask Fultz to become the franchise player if he really shouldn't be. Based on what we've seen, he should not be the franchise player. So when is the right time? Is The right time is now. While Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are fit, and healthy and in form and playing well. And you've got Bellinelli on the roster. You've got J.J. Redick on the roster. Chuck him in there. Every time he goes on the court, he'll be the fourth or fifth option. He'll be surrounded by shooters. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect for him. But you've got to start by speaking to him and asking him what he's good at. And hopefully then he can tell you and you can go and try that. And you can develop his, his confidence in himself through those games because he'll have moments where he plays well because you'll play the Grizzlies and you'll smash them and he'll be on the court for 20 minutes and he'll have a good game. Yeah, I just feel like with this kid, it's a matter of like stringing together two or three good games and this all becomes a thing of the past. But this extended period of building this shit up in his head, emphasizing all the weaknesses, emphasizing that the things are broken, you need to be held out, no, 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 it makes it a bigger thing in his mind. And right now his mind is what is amiss. This kid's played basketball his whole fucking life. Let him go play ball. Let him get out of his own yes, head. You know, exactly. it's criminal. What Let the doing, kid doing. play. Yes. Yeah, give, it, give him the game back that he loves. Let him go and play. And you know what? He might become a good rotation player for you. If it was a stupid draft pick, fine. It was a stupid draft pick. But if he becomes a good rotation player for you, uh, sixth man, um, decent backup point guard, a 10-year-long starting point guard. But whatever he becomes, if you actually build his confidence up and help him, you might actually see the best of him. But at the moment, all we're talking about is all the problems he has. And as you said, they're not letting him do what he loves. He can't be enjoying this. What do you think happens when he goes into the streets or speaks to his friends? What do you think his friends are asking him? Hey, man, when are you back? 
Yeah, what's, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Is your shoulder hurt? No, it's not. I'm yeah, why reworking my, the mechanics of my job. Yeah, like what's he supposed to say to his friends and family and people in the street? Oh, like eventually he'll, he'll be getting this treatment everywhere he goes rather than just like, hey, look, it's great to have you back. Um, go and do your thing. Yeah, it's an absolute tragedy. Um, I hope he comes back this season because uh, enough's enough. And just really quickly before we go, we've got to touch on one other tragedy that we forgot about in the uh, in, in this streak of tragedies in the NBA is that Kristaps Porzingis is out for the season. He's done his ACL. Oh, yeah. Another big man gone. Another season-ending injury. Uh, just terrible. I'm kind of happy that I forgot that this happened yes. uh, based on the trade deadline, but... That was horrible news to hear that he'd gone down. Um, I don't know. It's a, It feels like we're losing a lot of uh, stars in a lot of sports at, uh, at the moment, and it's, uh, it's not very uh, nice to see. No, it's not. And, I mean, I'm sure somewhere in Madison, Madison Square Garden, um, Nick's GM is kind of thrilled to maybe go into full tank mode. They were kind of in a bit of purgatory and he was helping him win a yeah. lot of games. And that might be the silver lining that they end up getting a nice draft pick this year to team up with him next year. But um, it's just been a oh, really look, they've shocking lost season. six in a row. So yeah. the, the sign that they're, they've lost six in a row and they're heading down into the path of the Bulls, Nets, Magic and Hawks. And they've traded for um, Emmanuel Moutier. Sorry. Yes. Who Couldn't help myself. Also, yeah. Um, sorry, Nuggets fans. Sorry, Nuggets. Um, look, there are eight teams currently fighting really hard for the number one <laughs> champ. Yeah, you the, talk about tight, tight um, playoff uh, runs. This is going to be a yeah. tight run to see who gets these draft picks. Oh, absolutely. There are the Bulls, Nets, Magic, Hawks in the East and the Grizzlies, Suns, Mavs and Kings in the, in the West. Yes. Um, and not far behind them are the Lakers and Knicks. So we'll, uh, we'll see We'll see how they go. We'll see how they go. Hey, Adam G, it was good to chat. Thanks for the pod, quality app. Sorry, um, Adam B. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep listening, keep reviewing us. Um, we'll be back in no time at all. And, yeah, thank you very much, Adam G. Thanks, Adam B. <laughs>